There are some corners of the universe which have bred the most terrible things. Things which act against everything we believe in. The Doctor Who podcast, for example. And welcome to another episode of the Doctor Who podcast, episode 365. I'm joined by Michelle and Ian. Hello, guys. Hello, hello. Hello. No new episode of Doctor Who on telly this evening. Ah. David Tennant and Catherine Tate have been and gone again. Or been and stayed. (laughs) (laughs) How are you coping with this? bereft absolutely bereft what are we going to do we're going to wait another whole week (laughs) i'm actually happy with where things stand that got to be a pretty hectic recording schedule (laughs) yeah so never mind about actually enjoying brand new stories it's just a lot easier on the podcast schedule (laughs) (laughs) we have been looking forward to these three episodes and the anniversary for a year and a half at least Uh, I, i remember it being summer last year or possibly even the summer before that where i got a ping on my phone that told me David Tennant and Catherine Tate were returning to Doctor Who. And I think less than half an hour after that, I was talking to Ian and Phil, uh, recording an episode. And uh, and this is this is where it all, um, all led now. So was it worth it? I think so. Absolutely. I, I really enjoyed those three specials. I loved seeing Tennant and Tate. They are so good together. There were surprises. I mean, we knew a few things maybe going in, but there was so much we didn't know, particularly about the middle episode. And uh, and I'm also enjoying the predominantly positive feedback that I'm seeing both from our own listeners and also from kind of fandom at large. That's not universally true, but for the most part, people seem really excited about this return and looking forward to the future. I really enjoyed them as well. I mean, yes, I've, I've picked my share of nits over them and I've got sort of bits I did like and bits I didn't like. However, as a trilogy, I enjoyed it and it was great to have the, the, this calibre of Who back. And yeah, I think I've enjoyed this more than, than any Who I've seen for quite a few years, actually. So yeah, no, it, it, it was good. It was great. Yeah, me too. Uh, I'm exactly the same. And I, I think if the three of us had made a list beforehand of stuff that needs to be included in an anniversary special, then I think the three episodes would have delivered almost on every single possible wish, uh, ranging from a regeneration to an old companion returning, old villains returning, uh, something new as well. And uh, we had that with the bi-regeneration, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a second. Uh, But yeah, as far as I was concerned, I I just think... um, it was a real success. It didn't disappoint me at all. Uh, I've heard lots of people, and I've done this myself, try to rank them in, in terms of how much they enjoyed them. Um, Michelle and I have already done that. So Ian, I'll, I'll ask you in a minute uh, to, to do that as well. Uh, but for me, it was very much which of these really good episodes did you enjoy the most as opposed to having a really good one, a middling one or one that wasn't very good at all. But, uh, <laughs> but Ian, what was what was your ranking? What would your top three be? <laughs> I probably thought Wild Blue Yonder was the best. I, I loved the, 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 the creepiness of that. 
And at the moment, I'd probably put Star Beast after that and the Giggle in last, as you probably heard last week. Giggle didn't quite click for me on the day. I'd had a really long, tiring day, and I <laughs> suspect maybe when I go back and watch it again, it might work a bit better, especially if I can hear the dialogue this time. But as it sits right now, that's how I would rank them. But again, it, it is, you know, first among equals, they're all good. Well, and Ian, I think it might have been you who said in an earlier episode that RTD, the first time round, was famous for doing something on present-day Earth, something, you know, spacey and out there, then something historical. And and there was the comment that maybe we're not going to get that this time. But we did, in fact, um, because that third episode took took place so much in 1925, even though it also had the, the contemporary aspect. So yet even there, he stayed true to form and delivered something new and fresh at the same time. Mm. It was very much the return of RTD. And you can really see his effect on the whole show. And you know, it's night and day compared to, to the previous series. And without even getting into, what, you know, whether I'm not going to replay those arguments, you can definitely tell that something has changed and that he's back. Yeah, uh, and I think it's familiar as well. It, it's certainly not a rehash of what we've had previously. It's it, it feels different. I mean, you've got some very obvious and bold creative decisions that have been taken in terms of designing and telling the story so we've got representation like it's never been seen before not just a token uh, representation it's built into the fabric of the story that's being told on screen Mm -hmm. and uh, the writers and the show are very unapologetic for that so that to me actually feels quite new and uh, and yet at the heart of all Russell T Davis stories is a good story. There is a plot. Whether you like it or not, is, <laughs> it very much depends on uh, on personal taste. Uh, I don't think I've seen a social commentary so in your face and upfront as, as previously. I've got a couple of things I'd like to say to that. Firstly, I'm not convinced it's as new as a lot of people like to make out. There has always been social commentary mm. in Doctor Who. I mean, when it began, it had, you know, the first female producer at the BBC, the the first South Asian director. You know, it's always been pushing boundaries right from the very get-go. The, the definition of where the boundary is has obviously moved over the years. So things that, you know, were progressive back in 1963 or 1964 are not today, but that does not to say it hasn't always been pushing boundaries. So I think actually this is quite in keeping, and I, I reject people that say, oh, this is this newfangled thing. I think there's always been an element of this in Who. But the only other thing I would say is that I'm, I've been a little bit disappointed at some of the, and no pun intended, binary nature of the argument that I've seen online around this, which is either, oh, it's all horrible, woke, trash, and blah, and we've all seen people say that kind of stuff, or it's absolutely 100% perfect and wonderful and, and anyone who doesn't agree with that is, 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 is an awful person. And I think there's actually a, a middle ground in there. Love the messaging, love that it's there, have no, no time for people that don't want to see it. I think a couple of the examples were a bit clumsy and I think it's acceptable and should be acceptable to have some criticism of the way the message has been delivered at times without actually criticising the message and being able to do that. And it's been not easy sometimes online to, to sort of stitch that particular needle. So, I mean, I thought, for example, the segue of binary to non-binary, I thought that turned the issue into a pun, and I found that clunky and clumsy. Not because I don't like the issue, but because I thought that particular bit of writing was a bit clunky, and it didn't land for me. And I think it's acceptable to be able to say, I didn't like the way that was written, without it turning into 
you know, there's a cultural war that it sometimes does. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. Uh, absolutely. And uh, I, th- I think you've got about three different uh, issues there. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but fundamentally, I agree with, with, with all of them. Um, I mean, I'll deal with the fandom one first, because I don't really care what fandom uh, is like. And to a degree, Doctor Who fandom does reflect the wider social feeling, I think, uh, almost internationally. And y- you get some very... Um, dark corners that you simply just have to look away from. It's as simple as that, I think. Um, the, the commentary, the social commentary, yeah, you're right, absolutely. It, it's been in Doctor Who ever since the beginning, both sides of the camera, as you you suggest. And uh, I, I just think this was... Um, well, if I look back at the most um, in-your-face example, I think it was probably... It was Orphan 55, I think, in Jodie's era, where the Doctor stops the plot and starts giving a speech almost on um, global warming and uh, sustainability to camera. And I thought, well, actually, we never, we didn't get that in your face. However, that felt very much like it was tacked on. It was something, I think we used the expression, bashed around the head with some kind of uh, social message. Whereas these, I think the message was more powerful. It was louder. It was new because it hadn't gone uh, to places like trans issues in the past. And yet it landed. Now, I agree with you again about potentially whether or not it worked or whether or not it was very successful. But the point is that they went there and they are unapologetic for that. And I don't think that's a, a bad thing. Okay, one of the things that I did want to discuss, and it was kind of on my mind anyway, and then our friend Chris Mead from the Oodcast, which has made a return, I think the Oodcast put out their first episode a couple of weeks ago for about five years, whereas we're releasing five a week, so where have you been guys, honestly? Um, (laughs) Welcome back. Welcome back, that's what I meant. (laughs) But I think they do more writing than we do. (laughs) Chris posted on our Facebook page, which of course anyone can come and join, uh, and just a small paragraph, and I'd like to read it if I can, uh, rather than try and summarise it. It's a few lines. Concerning by regeneration, I watched the giggle again yesterday, and I caught a line that I didn't catch the first time. Something like, I'm okay, because you took the time to fix us. Mm-hmm. We're time lords. We're doing rehab out of order. That suggests that the 14th, when he regenerates, having worked on himself with a noble family, will be transported back to the moment of bi-regeneration as the 15th. It's not a split. It's a little causal loop in his timeline which will resolve. Seen this way, it's the same as any multi-doctor story, with two doctors meeting out of order. Now, I think he is 100% spot on. And therefore, I think it's not a case of having the 14th Doctor languishing around at a retirement home, um, which apparently in the novelization is actually the Doctor's home, by the way. It's not the noble's garden. It's actually the Doctor's home. Hmm. He goes and buys a house. (laughs) Um, But uh, he doesn't grow old and die. He has this loop. So when he regenerates again, as we saw on screen, then... He's already had that rehab. And so Shooty, or the 15th Doctor, is fine. He's actually okay. I think that that's a really important point and beautifully made. But some of the talk I've heard about is, oh, you know, the the 14th Doctor isn't going to last a month before he's off doing something. I don't think that's true (laughs) because of that line. Because 
Uh, the 14th Doctor doesn't have to go off saving the universe. For one thing, the 14th Doctor knows the 15th Doctor is there doing it, so that takes that load off his shoulders. Uh, but the other thing is that in order for the 15th Doctor to be okay, the 14th Doctor has to complete this time of rest and rehab and, and rejuvenation. And and so, yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean the 14th Doctor wouldn't have little adventures and, you know, apparently he's already run off to New York or whatever. But I don't think the 14th Doctor is going to be in the saving the universe business while he's doing this. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't, I think he's going to be perfect. Like he said, he's happier than he has ever been, and I think that that will last in this case. Uh, and as for the house, it's interesting because in the novels, um, you know, the, the 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 novels during the wilderness years, the Doctor always had a house, uh, and actually, also in many yeah. of the Big Finish adventures, it refers to that house. So, um, yeah, that certainly is is, is canon in, in at least some branches of the the Doctor Who universe. Mm. Whether or not the Doctor will get bored inside of 20 minutes and then start finding planets to save again. I think that regardless of how credible that is, it almost doesn't matter because the rationale that you've just explained makes perfect sense and was very similar to the way that I'd viewed it as well. And not just the fact that the 15th Doctor is doing the job for him. Actually, all of the other versions of the Doctor are out there doing exactly the same thing. The thing that I really like about it is that Russell T. Davis has said, I mean, I know it's only said it, we haven't seen it in universe, so to speak, that by regeneration happened to every single doctor all the way back down the line. So rather than if you, if you were to draw a line of how the doctor lived their life up until recently, it was a straight line, just with a few little dots on it every time he regenerated. Whereas now those dots represent a little branch point where you have a circle. And I like that because that's where... I get to place Tales from the Tardis, yeah, yeah. the older versions of the Doctor, um, Time Crash. Are you going to say season 6B in a minute? It does work. Do you not think? I actually like, okay, I both like and dislike that idea. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, some of the complaints I've heard is that it diminishes the sacrifice that each Doctor has made in the moment. And I, I, I do think there's some validity to those arguments. On a meta level, I do love the idea that it makes more plausible the tales from the TARDIS older Doctors. It makes more plausible these apparent potential appearances where we see Doctors that, that look a little older. It makes more plausible what would be my first choice, which would be a Paul McGann miniseries or something. Mm -hmm. I still think he deserves his time on, on TV. So, so it's funny. I'm of two minds about that, but, um, but okay, okay, we'll go with it. Like I said, I'm I'm learning to be less concerned about canon than than I used to be. What I want to be more serious about is a good story with characters I love. You know, so just just give me that. However, you get there. I, I think it's a it's a great idea. It's a great fun idea, and there's some great head canon to be had there, and it could well be true. I, I get slightly more concerned when I hear RTD saying it and then retconning it back through the whole thing. Not because it's necessarily a bad idea, but more because I don't want RTD spending his time thinking about how to retcon stuff back through canon because I think it doesn't do us any good. I, I like the fact that he seems to have come in and done another big universal reset button and give himself a clean slate to, to go off and play with, which is what he did when he came back with Chris Eccleston as well. Uh, I would much rather see him, as you say, focus on character and story and doing fun new stuff than trying to sort of trawl our way through 60 years worth of canon that didn't add up in the first place and trying to explain everything. Hasn't he done both? 
Also, that comment that he made about this affecting every doctor throughout the timeline was only off camera. It's not on screen. Absolutely. So it, it was something that was just said. I mean, showrunner isn't necessarily God, actually, in terms of what happens. <laughs> he, he might think he is, where sometimes he might just be a very naughty boy. Uh, but I think um, all he's uh, all he's doing here is is thinking about various different ways of opening up different parts of the Hooniverse, so to speak, possibly for spin-offs, but also so that he can just deliver a good story about character, all of the things that we like him doing. But there's actually an in-universe reason for those um, for those stories to happen. And, and 6B, Ian, you, you mentioned earlier, it does work. As I said at the time, it does work. So... I, I really like that idea, Chris, um, and whether or not that was actually what was intended, I think listening to the dialogue mm-hmm. of that part of the giggle again, I think it was, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's intentional. And I would suggest actually the vast majority of people who saw it the first time or just one time didn't pick up on that. And that wasn't just because the sounds was <laughs> questionable. <laughs> I think it's because it's a hard concept to get your head around as a fan initially. The other thing I was going to say around bi-regeneration is I've heard a few people complaining of, oh, why are we doing things new? Why are we different? Why are we changing all the established rules? The regeneration has always changed the established rules. The first regeneration came out of nowhere. You know, the, the Time Lords stealing uh, Pat Troughton's regenerations and forcing them to change, that came out of nowhere. That hadn't happened before. We had the Watcher and we had all, all sorts of stuff over the years. There's been so much variety in how the regenerations have worked that to try and stand on some insane idea of canon about what regeneration is or isn't is bonkers, quite frankly. And I'm more than happy to have it come along as a new concept. Yeah, and you know, one of the complaints that I have heard that I kind of wanted to to respond to about the bioregeneration, and, and this is kind of a meta complaint, is that it took away, some folks believe that it took away from the introduction of Shooty as the doctor, that he had to share that screen time with David Tennant. And having watched the show a second time carefully, uh, I don't feel that way at all. In fact, one point that I haven't heard anyone point out is that these three specials were billed as the 14th Doctor specials. So if anyone's sharing screen time, it's it's probably, you could argue that it's the 14th Doctor, that David Tennant is is giving up 20 minutes of the last, you know, three episodes to, mm. to, to share with Shooty, but I don't think they, the actors, saw that that way at all. And I think one of the important points about Shooty's doctor is that that doctor is going to be more empathetic. Um, and how could you better establish that than by those beautiful sequences where the 15th doctor is taking care of the 14th doctor? I mean, the beautiful hug, the kiss on the, on the forehead, um, this, this giving the 14th Doctor permission to rest, to do the work that's needed so that the 15th Doctor can be the 15th Doctor. I also love that the, the dialogue immediately, as they were splitting, uh, you know, Shudi is saying, I'm me, I am so me. You know, there's no question that one is overshadowing the others. He comes out <laughs> fully formed um, and, and, and yeah, and, and the way they work together in that whole final sequence is is just beautiful. So, I'm absolutely certain that from here on out, we are only going to see the 15th Doctor for the foreseeable future, that there, there isn't going to be any lurking of David Tennant's Doctor in the background. Yeah, I don't buy into the one is stealing from the other argument. RTD has actually come out and said, no, we won't be seeing 
tenant for a while. But I 110% agree with you. The idea that this somehow steals Shooty's thunder. I mean, most of the previous regenerations, the Doctor sort of sits up, gives one or two lines. You maybe get a quick, you know, trailer for the Christmas special, and then it rolls to credits. So you get all of about 20 seconds of them, and you're like, okay, I know nothing about them now. And it's, it's nothing. So here, instead of that, as you say, we've got 20 minutes of high energy being introduced to the Doctor, being involved in the, the climax of the story, or the season finale, I suppose you could call it. It was an infinitely better introduction to Shooty. It's possible it might have overshadowed a bit of Tent, but it's not like Tennant hasn't had enough screen time and all these various right. yeah, iterations, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, and I didn't think it did anyway. So no, I think it's, it, it, I think it's ridiculous to say that it uh, overshadowed Shooty. It, it did quite the opposite. Another trend that I, that I think I like here is that he doesn't seem to have any post-regeneration trauma. Uh, I, it just amazes me that we would be introducing a new doctor every time and have him be really weird and unrelatable <laughs> for the first episode or bed. more. And, and <laughs> I think particularly with a whole new audience coming on board this time around. There's an in-story reason for yeah. that, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, and there is, yeah. The 14th Doctor is all serene and reset. And, <laughs> you know, he's enjoyed his holiday with the nobles. Although I have to say, if I were going to go somewhere to try and relax, the last place I would go is to go and live with Donna Noble's family. <laughs> I think it would send my blood pressure entirely the other way. Um, but but I agree as well uh, entirely, and I've heard this criticism actually on a number of review podcasts and lots of commentaries saying that um, Shooty's introduction has been uh, overshadowed, and I, I reject that in every possible way as well. And uh, how how many lines would you have expected Shooty Gatwa to get in this episode? Two lines, maybe. And he got 20 minutes. Uh, one question I do think it's uh, interesting, and again, not, not very important, but it's worth mentioning, I think, at this point. Do you remember the scene where the 14th Doctor shows the 15th Doctor all around the TARDIS? Mm-hmm. And like, oh, let's have a look. Is that just the 14th Doctor not knowing what's going on at that point? Or is the 15th Doctor going, oh, bless, you know, he's forgotten that... I did this. <laughs> well, you know what I think is particularly beautiful about that scene is that, you know, the second TARDIS that comes out is the one that Shooty will will take off in. So that is Shooty's TARDIS, um, whether it's the first or second doesn't really matter. But but that is the one with the jukebox is Shooty's. But Shooty isn't the first one to go in. That is so gracious. And again, I think it speaks to the character of the fifteenth Doctor that Shooty lets Tennant go in first. Go ahead in. Go look. And Tennant looks around. Before Shooty actually gets to enter his own TARDIS. But but he's seen it. He's already done it. He has already done it. <laughs> As the 14th. As the 14th. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's not a case of being polite. <laughs> it's a case of saying, I know how this works out. I've been here before. Yeah, but it's also a, a case of being phenomenally gracious and empathic and caring. And I love it. I think you can read that into it, certainly. Tom Baker and John Perpy wouldn't have done that. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing I'd like to mention then, more of a prediction really, I don't think we've seen the end of Maverty. I think that was a deliberate scene there. I I don't think it was played purely for laughs. And again, we've seen RTD's comments here. He's not just been planning for these three episodes, he's been planning... I think it's 11 in total. I think we've got another eight to come, including the the, the Christmas special. And um, we know that there are certain things like the Big Bad or He Who Waits is carrying over into the next 
few episodes as well. So why not Mavity as well? Have we seen the last of Mavity? If we haven't, and I'm really not convinced that it's going to come back as a thing, uh, I think it would be difficult to do it without uh, Donna at least and possibly the 14th Doctor because it was their conversation. I think having Rose and the 15th Doctor suddenly start talking about it would be a bit weird and incongruous. And I don't expect to see... Not Rose. Ruby. I think uh, I think it would be to have Ruby and uh, the fifteenth Doctor talking about it would be a bit incongruous, and I think I don't know. I I, I struggle to make that connection because it seemed to be their thing, and I don't think we're going to see Donna and the fourteenth Doctor anytime soon. I do believe they'll come back at some point, probably at a season finale where the fifteenth Doctor needs another TARDIS to get out or something or something like that. And he'll go and seek out the fourteenth. Um, but I think it's a long way off. I think it's just at the very earliest, the end of the season, quite pro- probably a couple of seasons away. So uh, I'm not convinced we're going to see Mavity again anytime soon. I think that that probably qualifies as a kooky theory, and, and I agree with Ian. I'm a little disappointed in that. you know. And then, you know, the whole Isaac Newton scene now, I didn't bother me at the time, but the fact that they made a fuss about Mavity and didn't follow it up just doesn't make sense to me. It, it, it feels like a, de- a, a, a dead end. But I also, you know, gravity, I'm assuming, probably comes from the Latin, you know, gravis having to do with heavy. <laughs> and so not co- – it just – the joke doesn't make any sense. If there's no payoff, the joke doesn't make sense in its context to me because at any rate, it – Etymologically, that doesn't, I can't even say it. It's not a word that makes sense. If you're not going to pay it off, don't go there. I have a feeling that we are massively, massively overthinking this and RTD would be rolling on the floor laughing at this. Oh, I don't care. One way or the other. He always hoots with laughter, as uh, as he often says. But I think, Michelle, all you're doing is backing up my point of view there because it will be paid off. Don't get me wrong, RTD is perfectly capable of writing a throwaway disposable scene that makes no sense purely because he thinks it's funny. I'm absolutely certain Mm. he would go ahead and do that. I don't think he's done it on this case. Well, I applaud (laughs) your optimism. <laughs> you you can use that for your the predictions app. You can use that as a prediction on our predictions app. <laughs> I think you can also look at the idea that, and this is something I think we could t- talk about a bit more, is how good an introduction were these three stories to the new audience that's out there. You know, the new Disney Plus audience who are being introduced to the show for the first time. What that scene did do is establish that it's a time machine, not just a space machine. Now, it was a bit of a throwaway, but the fact that you go back into what is very obviously the history and attach it to a historical character if you are a new viewer it does in a couple of quick minutes of fun get you very firmly into the concept that this is a time machine as well as a space machine that could be what it's there for it it could be something like that where it's just part of because we did talk about there's sort of a, a greatest hits of doctor who going on across these these three episodes to introduce new people in you know i i read or glanced at an article this morning about Disney Plus and Doctor Who, these first three episodes really kind of had a soft opening. There was not much fuss made about it. If you weren't a Doctor Who fan and didn't know they were coming, I mean, they they certainly appeared on the on the streaming channel and they were highlighted in the you know in the top streamer, but along with about twelve other you know things that you could opt for to to, to pick and watch. My understanding is that Disney will make a bigger push beginning with Shooty Gatwa's Doctor, which may, which makes sense that, that this may be 
and even better hopping on point for new fans as we as we start into this sort of new era. But I was surprised at how little publicity there seemed to be from Disney Plus related to Doctor Who. Uh, now, you know, if they're going to have a big push for for Shooty's Doctor, it's got to happen soon. I mean, we've only <laughs> got less than two weeks now before that first episode airs, so I'm not sure how that all that will work. But just just interesting. I think a soft launch does make sense. Are you really going to invest a whole load of marketing time and money into getting people to watch a show that's billed as a 60th anniversary special? I mean, that might feel like quite a lot that you, you've got to appreciate. Whereas if they're starting the numbering system all over again and they're going to have a separate push for the 15th Doctor, then that's the point at which it does make sense to to really get behind the brand. Um, and I think to an extent we started seeing that. There's been quite a number of clips that have been released from the Christmas special already. Uh, not in a traditional sense, there's not lots of trailers, uh, but they are all over the internet. Shooter Gatwa last night as we recalled was on the Graham Norton show, which has been clipped by the official Doctor Who accounts uh, all over social media. Uh, so that's really being pushed as well. So perhaps th- we, we are gearing up now. And of course, even the Christmas special isn't episode one of the new series. We still don't know for sure when the next series is going to air. I mean, at the moment, Smart Money is on Mar- is in March at some point. So that's another three months so they've got plenty of time should they really want to to work this um, I, up, I think. I kind of hope that that is what's happening because, you know, that, that, that thing all us old fans have of, oh, it's not going to work, it's going to fail and it's going to go wrong because, you know, we remember the TV movie crashing and we remember the hiatus. So we always have a little bit of paranoia in the back of our head. And I have been a little bit worried that the, the, the trilogy we just saw is not what I was expecting as an introduction to a new audience and an introduction to a new platform. You know, the fact that you had to open up with a little monologue explaining a plot point from 15 years ago, just so people even understood the story, surprised me. And the fact that they used the toy maker, a character from the 60s, you know, there was just lots of things in there, lots of references back to the past, lots of, frankly, canon stuff, which I really wasn't expecting to see. If this has been a soft launch and this is more of a sort of a, a background primer rather than the big launch, that maybe makes more sense because I do think these might be tough as an intro point to the... much as I enjoyed them, I think they could be tough as an intro point to the series. Well, on the flip side of that, uh, one thing that made me really smile this morning in my news feed, an article from National Public Radio, NPR, which is you know fairly high profile here in the United States in terms of a news organization... And it was an article on, you know, what's what's making us happy that we've watched recently. So, so you know, presumably from their entertainment specialists. But uh, number one on the list of things they were recommending to watch because it made them happy were the three Doctor Who specials. And so the image that appeared in the feed was of David Tennant, actually from the, the second special. Um, but yeah, raving about uh, how much fun these three specials were. So there's some good press, even if it's not coming from Disney+. And that, that you know, that... You would never have seen that back in the 1980s when I was a classic Doctor Who fan, uh, something of that high profile. Well, that brings our coverage of the three 60th anniversary specials to a close. It feels like we've been speaking about it 
for a very long time. I think it's been seven podcasts over the last three and a half weeks or so, or, or thereabouts. And we hope you've enjoyed your ride uh, on the DWP camper van. It's been quite breakneck in pace <laughs> at times. Um, and, and now we're beginning to ease off um, the accelerator a little bit in line with the 14th Doctor's uh, trajectory before he regenerates finally into the 15th Doctor. We're going to take the slow lane for another week or so at least and well if we're taking this sort of the slow road and sitting down and relaxing like uh, donna and the doctor does that mean phil's outside shooting moles <laughs> i like the fact that of all of us you decide to equate phil to the pensioner uh, with a <laughs> shotgun <laughs> if anyone would do it it would be him no you are right <laughs> you are absolutely right listeners do join us again in a few short days and in the meantime take care and bye for now bye-bye Bye-bye. That was the Doctor Who Podcast with your hosts, James, Ian, and Michelle. You can find us at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Thank you for listening and take care.